Um, Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to turn there in your Bibles this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll begin reading here in verse number 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, you might want to under this part in your Bible, underline this part, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I've said it many times before, but I'm going to go ahead and say it one more time. If God were to rewrite a Bible, if God wrote another book that covered the 21st century, if God wrote a Bible for the future that covered the time span in which we lived, would we make the book? Have we ever done anything to even be an unnamed, just to be mentioned in the book? It involves things like what Jason was just talking about as he was thanking JB and, and Blaze and Vince for the things that they did and Jason himself. And it involves doing those. Are those the kind of things that would make mention in the book? Are those the kind of things that are well-pleasing to God so much so that, that we would make mention of, of what God was recording? I want to look this morning at a message on, could it be you? God, thank you so much for being so good. God, thank you that we gather in this place called children of God. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied that washed our sins away and made us white. Thank you, God, for that. Lord, we want to be more than just saved. We want to be servants. We want to have more than just fire insurance. We want you to be Lord of our lives. We want you to lead God and direct us and help us to be everything that you'd have us to be, that you might be pleased with us, God. We want to be children to make our Father happy. We want to be what you want us to be, God. I pray you'd move in here this morning. I pray you'd help each one of us, God. I pray you'd help us to have a clear understanding of the calling, a clear understanding of the things that you would have for us to do, a clear understanding of exactly how you want us to live our life and the things you want us to say and the places you want us to go. God, I pray you'd call some into ministry. I pray you'd reach down and save some souls. I pray, God, you'd do a mighty work. Lord, may your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You guys can be seated. Hebrews chapter 11, of course, everybody probably know that that's known as the Hall of Faith, where God talks about many of the great heroes of the Old Testament there. It's a story where God took ordinary men and women. Ordinary people with ordinary problems. Anybody say amen to some ordinary problems? Our problems don't seem so ordinary when they land on our plate, do they? They, they have ordinary circumstances in their lives just like everybody else. They have ordinary sicknesses, ordinary disease. They face all the things that we face, but they also had ordinary failures. Anybody ever disappoint God and you know it? Oh, I have, more than once. Anybody ever let God down and you know it, but the devil reminds you of it often to tell you that you can't be used? Not only does the Bible talk about their, their great accomplishments, but the Bible also talks about their great failures. So they have ordinary problems just like you and I, but yet God used these ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Three things that every one of the heroes of faith, every one of them mentioned three things that they have there in common is that they all made mistakes. They all have sin in their lives. They all did some things that disappointed God. They all did some things that were a direct sin against God himself. They failed God. Number two, they're all used mightily by God in spite of their failures. That's a good place to put an amen. Number three, they're all used greatly because of one common word, faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The question is, can God use you and I in the exact same way today that he used them yesterday? 
Can God use you to change your environment, your situation, your surroundings, your town, the world? Can God use you and I in, in our failures, in our weakness, and in, in our temptations? Can God use you and I in our circumstances, our ordinary selves? Can God use you and I the same way that he used them in their world to change our world? The answer is absolutely yes. God can use you exactly like he used every one of them. So the question is not, is God big enough? The question is, is our faith big enough? Because he makes it clear that the reason they're used so greatly is because of their great faith. So here in our text, the Bible goes on in verse number 7. If you want to hold your spot, I'm going to look at a couple more passages there in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse number 7, it says, By faith Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, we all know the story of the ark. We know how God was repented that he had made man. We know that there was evil on the world all, all around and that God said that he would have destroyed all living things. But in Genesis 6, 8, number 6 is the number of man. The number 8 is the new beginnings. 8 people on the ark. But we know that Genesis 6, 6 8, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man, the Bible tells us, moved with fear, built the ark. The word fear there, just so you know, isn't fear as though he's terrified of God. That word also means respect. That word also means reverence. If you look at the translation of the word, the multiple meanings, so that means out of fear, out of complete reverence for God, out of an absolute respect for God and who he is, that Noah moved and he built the ark in spite of the fact that it ain't ever rained. We know from the word of God that society that day was no different than society today. We know that man was desperately wicked. We know that everything in that world was just as bad. The Bible tells us in chapter 6, verse number 5 of Genesis, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we know that the earth was covered in sin. We know that in the day that Noah is doing this great work and that God is using this one man, not one church, not one body, not one group, one man. In the day that God's using this one man, the world is filled with drunkenness. The world is filled with adultery. The world is filled with idolatry. The world is filled with homosexuality. The world is filled with liars. The world is filled with thieves. All manner of evil is on the earth in the day that he built the ark. So it's not that his surroundings was any better than ours. His surroundings was just as evil as the one we live in. The things around him was just as bad as your workplace and your classroom and your neighborhood and all the stuff that goes on around you. His, his situation was just as bad as our situation, yet he did what God said do. God didn't use him because he's a perfect man. You can study in the Word of God. You can read about his mistakes and his drunkenness and his failures and, and being so drunk he was asleep in his tent. You can read about mistakes that he made. He is a key figure in the Word of God, used in a great way by God, not because he was perfect, not because he never did anything wrong, not because he was better than anybody else, but because of his great faith and by God's grace. You look a little further down, verse number 8, it goes on and says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out in a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. James 2.23 says of this man Abraham that he is called the friend of God. Anybody who's ever read the Bible knows anything about the Bible knows Abraham. If you know the name Jesus, you know the name Abraham. If you've ever even looked in this book, you, you know about Abraham and how he followed God. And we see how in his old age, how God delivered the promised son, Isaac, how he gave it through Sarah's barren womb. We see how he was fully prepared to sacrifice his son that day at Mount Moriah up on that altar. He was fully prepared to sacrifice his son because God told him to, knowing that God would raise him even from the dead because God had promised that through him would come this great kingdom. So he knew that whatever God said do, just do it and it'll be okay. This great faith that he has 
didn't come naturally. He came through trials and tribulations and temptations and failures and successes and weaknesses and being delivered through storms and brought out of problems. He earned this faith the same way. He's just like Noah. He's just like you and I. He, he was a man of, of like passions with failures in his life. But yet God did great things through him. Oh, you look at his life and you find about how he went into Egypt when he's supposed to be going toward the promised land. And the Bible tells us there was a famine in the land. And in order to, to find food, he went into Egypt. I'm sorry, but I never find in the scriptures where God told him to go to Egypt. If God never told you to go there, you shouldn't have been there. So he never should have been there. The reason he went there is because of the famine. That means there's a shortage of food. There's a shortage of water. Egypt being the large place governed by the Pharaoh, he went there for supplies. He never should have been there. He knew that. He wasn't trusting God when he went because he was afraid of the Pharaoh. So he told his wife, hey, tell them you're my sister or they're going to kill me. So he lied about it. The king gets in trouble because he takes her in. And, and then what we find is that this pagan king of Pharaoh, a man who knows nothing of God, who knows nothing of the goodness of God, nothing of the power of God, nothing of the grace of God. This man who knows nothing about God is condemning God's man because he lied to him. He never should have been there to start with. When he leaves, God has made him a promise. So he takes this, this woman, Hagar, with him. It's Sarah's handmaid. He never should have had her because he never should have been in Egypt. Anybody ever try to help God out? You ever prayed and asked God to do something for you and you're convinced that God isn't doing it so you just need to help him along a little bit? I'm working on some of that now. God help me. Just, just trying to make things happen because it's not happening fast enough. You're sure that God told you that, but it's just not happening as quick as I need it to, so you're trying to urge it along. Well, Abraham's got a promise that he's going to have a son. Well, number one, his wife's barren. She can't have children. Now she's an, well, I'll be careful right there. Now she's an elder woman, and her womb is dead. So she can't have children anyway, but God said she would. So Abraham now becomes convinced, I'm going to have to help God out. So now he uses Hagar, who he never should have had to start with because he never should have been in Egypt, and, and he uses her to get her pregnant to have the child that God promised. Can I tell you, God didn't need his help. All God needed was his obedience. All he did in that was created a problem that we still deal with over in the Middle East. That's all the line of that descendants. All it did was created a situation that never could have been there because he went to a place he never should have been in and did something he never should have done. Although God had a plan laid out, he, he kind of got out of the way. See, everything in that story is about a story of failure. Yet God used his failures to increase his faith. And he built this mighty man of God that he turns into Father Abraham, the friend of God. Down in verse number 32, we find mention of a man named David. 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14 says that the Lord sought a man after his own heart. According to Acts 13, 22, he found one. His name was David, a man after God's own heart. We know that David was this great king of Israel. We know the story of how his quest began. The real kickoff into it is David and Goliath, right? We know about the lion and the bear and the prior two and all that and being chosen of Samuel. But the real kickoff to him becoming great is the story of David and Goliath. And we know about how he became this, this mighty man and how God used him to, to overthrow kingdoms, to, to deliver the promised land to the Hebrew nation, to the Jews, the children of Israel. But what about the story there in 2 Samuel chapter 11? When the nation of Israel, when the Jews are at war, and all of the men are out fighting, but David didn't go. David stayed behind, and David is out on the roof of, of his kingdom, of his, of his castle there. He's on the courtyard, if you will, and he looks over the wall, and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who he knows not only is she married, but she's married to one of his friends, Uriah. But he takes none of that into consideration. Uriah's at war. The men are at war. So he has her brought up to his chambers, and he takes advantage of her. All is good, right? I'm the king. I'm the stud. I'm the man. I'm God's chosen. He's given me the kingdom. No skin. It's all good. Until Bathsheba sent word that she was pregnant. Uh-oh. 
Be sure your sins will find you out. He says, I know how to fix that. I'll just get Uriah in. I'll tell him I need to deliver some messages. Bring Uriah in from the battlefield. I'll have him sleep with his wife. She's pregnant. No big deal. I'm covered. It's all good. He just didn't realize how good of a man Uriah was. Brought Uriah, his friend, in. He talks to Uriah. He says, go and stay with your wife. Uriah leaves. He's like, that ain't happening. My brethren are out there fighting in a war. I'll not go sleep with my wife while they're out there. I'll sleep somewhere else, and tomorrow I'll deliver the king's message back to the soldiers. So he did. Unfortunately, the message that he delivered was his own suicide note. Because he let David's plan down. Now David's still exposed. He says, I got to get rid of Uriah so I can marry this woman so it'll look right that I got her pregnant. So he sends him back out, and he, and he sends it to the officials of the army. Hey, press forward hot into the battle. And when you're hot into the battle, back off and leave Uriah forward and let him get killed. So everything's all good now. David says, man, I got it all covered. Plan A, man, Uriah messed that up, but plan B took care of it. And God, he, he thought he was in the clear until God sent Nathan the prophet and said, you know, there was a man had a whole bunch of sheep and another man had one little ewe lamb. And, and there was a stranger, a traveler came in and he needed to prepare something. And instead of one from his thousands of sheep, he took that man's one little ewe lamb and he killed it. And David said, who is that man? I'll have him killed. Nathan said, thou art the man. See, David knew at that point exactly what God was talking about. He knew exactly what the judgment was. But what David did at that point was he repented. He not only asked for forgiveness, he turned away from his sin, asked God to forgive him, and God was merciful. Same with you and I. Doesn't matter what's in our past, doesn't matter how dark or gloomy, God is merciful. You think about the prophet Elijah. Elijah's the one that predicted. He didn't predict, he called for it. It's not going to rain. There's not going to be dew on the earth, nor rain, there'll not be a drop of water. He called for it because God told him to. It's a judgment against the king. And then God says, you go down to the brook Cherith and you stay there and I'll use the ravens to feed you and you'll have all the water you need at the brook Cherith. So he goes there, water's running in the brook Cherith. He has spring water, the ravens are feeding him. The brook begins to dry up because of the great famine in the land. So he sends him over to Zarephath, to the widow's house. He goes over to Zarephath, to, to Zarephath and the widow has this little bit of handful of meal and, and a couple of drops of oil in a cruise, and he tells her to fix him something to eat. She says, no, I can't do that. This is all I have. I'm going to fix a couple of little biscuits, a couple of little cakes for my son and I that we can eat them and die. He says, no, according to God, you fix me one first, then you fix out of what's left. For better than two years, they're there. That little bit of meal never ran out. That cruise of oil never ran dry. He saw God do amazing, mighty things. Before leaving her house, her son died. He went into the bedroom and raised him from the dead. We're talking about a man who God used to do some amazing things. He's seen some powerful moments in his life. He hears from God. He leaves from there. He goes. He brings up the king. Israel is sold into idol worship. They're worshiping the false god, Baal. He brings out the 450 and the 400. He brings out all the prophets of Baal. And he brings them to a showdown. And you probably know the story, how they... They called out and cut themselves and bled. Their God never showed up. Imagine that. Why a dead piece of wood can't show up and help you none. But God can. How he put his up and he poured barrel after barrel. Can I remind you they were in a famine. There wasn't no water. And they gathered all the water that was left and poured barrels of water on to the sacrifice. And then he called that fire came down out of heaven and, and licked it up. So we find this mighty man of God. At one point, here he is, calling fire down from heaven, destroying the 450 false prophets of Baal, doing everything that God says do, leading God's people away from idol worship, calling them back to the one true God. And on the very next page, he's running for his life because one woman, Jezebel, said, I'll have his head for it. The Bible gives a lot of great stories, incredible stories. Men and, and women of God. And, and these are some of the greatest, most powerful, used men and women. Some of the greatest names in the Word of God. And I am in no way belittling these incredible children of God. But they are people of failure. They are people of mistakes. They are people that have 
done things against God. They're not worthy, but God is graceful. God is merciful. That they shouldn't have been there, but they trusted him. Outside of Jesus Christ, there's never been one perfect. Outside of Jesus Christ, there's never been one that lived a perfect life. There's never been one without failure. Outside of Jesus Christ, there's never been one without doubt. There's never been one without disappointments. Now, when, when I say mankind, when I say man, I'm talking about men and women. He says men and man. We're talking about mankind here. In spite of man's failures, God used them to accomplish incredible things. The men and women of yesterday are no different than the men and women sitting in these pews. The men and women of yesterday are no different than men and women of today. The sins of yesterday are no different than the sins of today. The failures of the people yesterday are no different than the failures of people today. What our society needs is is some mighty men and women of God to step up to the plate. And the only one that can keep that one from being you is you. The only one that can keep us from being a tool in the hand of God is us. God's just looking for somebody. Your past can't be held against you. Your mistakes can't be held against you. Your failures can't be held against you. Nothing in our past, nothing of our old, nothing can be held against us by Satan because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of a sovereign God that has washed it all away and taken it out. So the only thing holding us back is us. Are we willing to put all of our trust in God and allow Him to make a difference however He chooses? Throughout the Word of God, we see these incredible things accomplished through the power of one. I preached a message several years back. No, uh, a few years back. Let me put it that way. But I remember the, the title was The Power of One. God did all these things through the power of one. It was one who said, I'm not worried about my own agenda. It was one who said, I'm not worried about my own plans in this life. It was one who said, I'm not worried about the condition of the world. I'm not concerned about the size of the enemy. I'm not worried about the size of the storm. I'm not going to be hindered and held down by the size of the problem. I have a God that is greater than all that. And although I may be nothing, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I will not fear what man can do unto me. Those are the ones. That's the ones that God used. That's the ones that, that God is looking for. But when God finds... One, he can change things. The book of Exodus chapter 3 verse 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? See, that's, that's the problem that we all face today. I'm pretty sure that's the problem I face. I'm quite positive. Most of you probably do as well. Who am I? Who, who am I to be used by God? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Who am I that the creator of the universe would even be mindful of me? I'm blown away enough that he would send Christ to save me. I'm blown away enough that he would love me. I'm blown away enough that he'd allow me to come into the throne room and speak to him in prayer. I'm blown away enough that he loves and cares for me, but that God could use me? That makes no sense to me. The, the one who, who can speak all that we see into existence, how could he use, why would he use somebody like me? But if we are fully surrendered to the things of God, we become this incredible, powerful tool in the hand of God. God can do things without us. He doesn't need us, but he plans to use us. See, when God finds that one, that one says, I'm willing. I, I, I'm ready to serve you. I want to be what you've called me to be. When God finds that one from Matthew 6, 33 out there, that will seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When God finds that one, then he has somebody that he can use. 
You know, I've told you a lot of times, Nehemiah is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You think about Nehemiah, you think about all of the things that that he faced. Think about all of the opposition. Think about all of the problems. Think about all of the challenges, everything that he faced there. Yet one man led a people by the power of God and accomplished things that looked to be impossible. Here's the truth of the story. God could have done all of these things without anybody but he did not. Anybody listening? Anybody believe? God could have delivered the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. God could have killed Pharaoh. God could have gotten rid of all of the Egyptian army. God could have done that without Moses. Anybody agree? But he didn't. God could have killed Goliath. God could have overthrown the armies of the Philistines. God could have delivered the land to the Jewish nation without David. Anybody agree? But he didn't. God could have sent fire down from heaven, got rid of the altars of Baal. God could have gotten rid of all the wicked kings and could have gotten rid of Jezebel and could have gotten rid of all the 450 prophets plus the 400. God could have done all of that and sent fire down without Elijah. Anybody agree with that? But he didn't. God uses people. God can do anything that God wants to do. But God has made it clear through this book. Time and time and time and time and time again. Over and over. From in the beginning to amen. That it is God's perfect will to use you and I. It is God's desire to use men and women and work through them. Ezekiel chapter 22 verse 30, God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me in the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. What he's taught us is that it is his desire to use people and not only will God accomplish great things through the one that will surrender that God uses, here's here's the crazy part. Not only will he use you to do things that he's going to do through you, but he's going to give you rewards for doing it. The things that he accomplishes through you and I, he turns around and there's great rewards for that. God is always looking for one. God's looking for one that will seek him. One one that will serve him. One that will honor him. One that will do his work, set their own agenda aside to be what God wants them to be. One that that he can use to lead others. Can I tell you, God can change things back in America. God can change things in Georgia. God can change things in Troop County, in LaGrange, Georgia, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your classroom. God can change things one soul at a time, and he can start it with you. God can even change things back in our school systems. But he won't. See, we think we're waiting on God to change things back. We think we're waiting on God to change something in the White House. We're waiting on God to change stuff up there. We're waiting on God We're not waiting on God to do nothing. God's waiting on at least one. God's waiting on somebody to step up and and to follow him that God can use that one, that one person to to lead a group of people, to to lead a church, to lead a school, to lead a a community that, that God might change them, that we might change the world. There's no favoritism in God. God is no respecter of persons. What God did in one, God will do in any who is willing to surrender. God doesn't need anybody special. Anybody feel unspecial? God don't need anybody special. Moses had a speech impediment. He said, I can't speak clearly. I can't do that. David, we know, was the run of the litter. Just a ruddy little boy. God doesn't need anybody special. God just needs a servant's heart, just just an obedient heart, somebody that that wants to serve him, somebody that loves him, somebody that's willing to listen to him, somebody that's willing to obey him no matter what he says do. Uh Uh-oh. Go wherever he says go and be whatever he says be. So that means the question this morning is, could it be you? Are you Elijah? Oh, you can be. You may not know it yet. Are you David? Moses. 
Could it be you? Could, could it be me? That's a fair question to put it so that all of us ask the same question so it don't sound like I'm asking you something that don't fall on my plate. Could it be me? Look in the mirror and ask that yourself. Am, am I the one? Could God use me? Look, what about this? Do you even want to be the one? Oh, now you're getting up all kind of personal on a Sunday morning. You need to say that kind of stuff on Wednesday night. You need to be hard on the ones that come up in here in midweek wanting to hear some, some backbone preaching. No, no, it's just a fair question. Do you even want it to be you? Do you even want to be a servant of God? Or you just want to be washed in the blood and get to heaven when you die and that would be the end of it? Are you willing to, according to that song, draw up the anchor and, and set sail for the will of God? Are you willing to set out to be Whatever God says, to, to do whatever God desires us to do. Go where he says go. Are you looking for the center of God's perfect will for your life? See, see that, that's what we need. We don't need to be more. We just don't need to be less. Are you looking for God's perfect will, the center of his perfect will in our life? Do we desire the things of God? Do, do you desire God's hand on your life to use you? Could, could you be the one? Could you be the, the 21st century man after God's own heart? Could you be that one? Because God said he sought a man. America's not waiting on God. God's waiting on his children. Now here's what we can say. I just don't see that happening. America's too far gone. If you don't believe that, just... Turn on TV and try to watch something you like. And it'll take all about 15 seconds for a commercial to make you throw up. America's too far gone. We've passed too many laws against the things of God. We've decided that man gets to call what's good and evil. And we call evil good and good evil according to this book. America's just too far gone. Well, see, I have a hard time believing that because I remember a story in here about a place called Nineveh. And children, they know the story of Jonah and the whale, but I'm not really worried about Jonah and the whale. I'm more worried about Nineveh because the story is really not about Jonah. Well, it is. If you want to look at a one, could you be the one? Then it's about Jonah because it was about the one that God said, you go to Nineveh. You go warn them. You go tell them. You go tell them about their sin, and you go tell them that I'm going to bring judgment if they don't turn back. So that part of the story is about the one who said, I don't like them. I'm headed down to Tarsus, and he bought a ticket. Bad move. you got to remember God's got oceans and waves and whales and anything else he needs to get you where he needs you to be. You can only say no so long. He will land you in his intended destination. So after all the story of Jonah, we get back to what the story started about. The story's about Nineveh, wicked place, idolatry, homosexuality, murder, all kind of evil and wickedness going on. And that one man went and told them what God said, tell them. You tell them judgment is at hand. Turn from their wicked ways, repent, and turn back to, turn back to me. And I'll heal their land. Otherwise, I'll destroy them. Anybody know the rest of the story? The king gave a commandment. They all rent their clothes in sackcloth and ashes. They repented of their sin, and God forgave them. America's too far gone. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I believe that. Band, you, you guys come on up here a minute. Come on up and get ready. To say that America's too far gone, let's say that she is. How about that? Let's say America is too far gone. Let's say that America is now at the place of Sodom and Gomorrah. She received her warning. The Lord knows we have. She's been told time and time again. She's been warned time and time again. Repent. Turn back. Turn away from your sin. I'm a long-suffering God. I'm very patient. I'll forgive you your sin. Turn back. And America said time and time again, We'll do it our way. Suppose we are at the time 
where God said, it is enough. I'm done. Judgment is placed. I'm not sending them another warning. And in my time, I will destroy that nation. What would that mean for us as Christians? 1996. Some of you remember this. I've shared this story before. 1996, there was a, a man by the name of Andrew Meekins. Andrew Meekins was a Christian. He got on board a commercial airliner, headed to a destination. He's going where he's supposed to go. And while in midair, the plane was hijacked. Unfortunately, hijackers aren't very intelligent people, obviously, because they hijacked a plane that was scheduled to travel a short distance, which means they only had fuel for that distance, and they wanted to carry it across the seas to a land far away. So the hijacked plane runs out of fuel. The plane's going to crash, and then nothing to do about it. They, they schedule for a crash landing in the Comoros Islands. It's over by Madagascar, between Madagascar and mainland Africa. The survivors of the crash told the story. They said that Andrew Meekins began to preach that day. The plane's going down. He began to tell people uh, about Jesus Christ. He began to tell all those on board about sin and the sin of Adam. And he, and he narrowed it down into a nutshell for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he narrowed it down that the grace of God is sufficient. He told them about Jesus Christ. He told them about the cross. He told them about the blood. He told them about salvation. He told them about new birth. And then he said, would anybody like to be saved? Is there anybody here you believe God? You believe in God? You believe in Christ? Is there anybody here today that you would trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? According to the witnesses, they said about 20 hands were raised that day on that plane. They said that they prayed to receive Christ. One of them was a flight attendant who didn't survive the crash. Now you tell me, were they saved? Did they mean what they said? Did they mean the prayer? Or were they just scared of dying? See, to me, I don't relate them as being any different than the thief on the cross. See, just because death is impending does not shut the door on mercy. <laughs> just because death is impending does not close God's grace. Just because death is impending does not shut the pearly gates, does not stop the ability of the blood to wash away sin, does not stop the ability of somebody to come before a holy, righteous God in the blood of Jesus and be saved. So in my opinion, they're no different than the thief on the cross. doesn't matter if the plane's on the way down. The goodness of God is still sufficient. That day, Andrew Meekins was one of the ones that didn't survive the crash. That means that day he stood before God. Can I tell you something? When he stood before God that day, it didn't matter, brother, if they were sincere or not. That wasn't on Andrew Meekins. What mattered was that he told the story. Whew. What mattered is that he used his last minutes on earth to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And all those who were sincere went with him that day. There were rewards waiting for in heaven, for him in heaven, because of what he did that day. Same thing is true for me. Same thing is true for you. That is the duty of every Christian. It's not our responsibility whether or not they got saved. It's our responsibility to tell them what happened to us. To tell them about the blood of Jesus Christ that was enough for us. Each one of us ought to be honest and ask ourselves the question, am I doing all that God wants me to do? Am I being what God wants me to be? Some of you right now, I don't know, maybe simple stuff. Maybe you're supposed to be in the band. Maybe you're supposed to sing in the choir. Maybe you're supposed to serve in one of these ministries. It may be simple stuff. I don't know, but you do. You're the one that keeps plugging in the back of your mind that God has something for you to do. Are you doing everything that God wants you to do? See, God... God was looking to use a man when he looked over on the backside of the Midian Desert 40 years after Moses has left Egypt. And here he is, his father-in-law's shepherd now. God looked over on the backside. God was looking for a man to send back to Egypt to deliver his people. And what he found was an obedient heart over there in his servant Moses. 
God was looking for a man to deliver the nation of Israel, to deliver the promised land, to, to drive out the enemy so that God could deliver the promised land. And God looked and he found a servant's heart in David. I'll give you another one. God was looking for somebody to send the Holy Spirit to place a seed inside of a woman to give birth to his only begotten son. And he found a humble heart in Mary. What kind of heart does he find when he looks in me? See, if God's looking for a man, a woman, God looking for somebody to use, he's looking at the condition of the heart. He's not looking at status quo. He's not looking at dress code. He's not looking at success, failure, according to life. God's concerned about the position of the heart. Somebody with a heart that he can use. What kind of heart does God see when he looks on you and I? So the question is, could it be you? Could it be you that God would use to do amazing things? Could it be you? Could, could, could it be you? The answer is absolutely yes, it can be. But it's up to us. Ms. Frieda, you're not going to have this. God just gave me this a few minutes ago. Larry, you're not going to have this. This isn't one advance. notice. But there's a story right here in John chapter 2. In the story, this is the story of the first recorded miracle of Jesus Christ. And we know the story that Jesus went to Cana of Galilee. He went to a wedding, right? The disciples were invited to the wedding. The disciples went with him. So they're all there present. Everybody remember the story. They ran out of wine, right? End of party. Hold up the show. Wine's gone. Mary comes to Jesus. And he says, they're out of wine. He says, woman, what does that have to do with me? She looks at the men and says, Whatsoever he saith do, do it. This is all he said. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? I saw something this morning, just a little bit ago. I've never seen it quite like this. I, I, wished, I wished I had a little more preparation. I, I would have brought one. If, if God, if there's three glasses there, and God said, go, go fill a glass with water. What would you do? You'd go get water. Here's what I'd do. I would go get them. And I would fill them with water. If the glass was this tall, I would fill it to about right here. Just like I do my glass to drink out of. And yours, if you ask for some water. And I go get it just like your waiter or waitress does at the table. Because if we fill it any higher, it's going to spill, right? But what did God say do? That's not full, is it? I've never really paid this much attention until God showed me this this morning. But the very next part of the same verse says, And they filled them up to the brim. You want to see God do something powerful in you? You've got to do it exactly the way God said do it. You can't fill it 95% of the way and bring it to him and call it full. If God says fill the glass, fill the glass. If God says fill the jars, fill the jars. If God says fill them all, you notice there it doesn't say that they took a couple of the water pots. They took all of the pots and they filled every one of us to the absolute fullest possible extent that they could be filled. And Jesus said, that'll be good. Draw out a drink of that and have that governor taste up some of that. And they said, man, that's the best wine yet. They saved the best for last. That's because Jesus became the first. Amen. So when God is looking for one, he's looking for the position of the heart. But he's looking for a heart that when he says, go get me a glass of water, there's no questions asked. You're not like the servant. Well, I got to go tell my my, my family goodbye first. I got some land I got to sell. I got to go take care of that first. I got a team of oxen that I'm going to buy. I got to go prove them first. He says, no, no. When I say go fill the glass, get the glass, go to the faucet, cap it to the full, and bring it back. That's what God's looking for. So the question is fair. Could you be the one? Could you be the one that God can use? Do you want to be the one that God can use? See, I think you do. 
I think you do. I think, I think every one of you in here. I think the reason you show up at camps and cook, I think the reason you do all the work, I think the reason this church can accomplish the thing that it does is because that's who you want to be. But we can't be it without God's help. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand if you will. Band's going to sing a song. If you want to be the one, if you want God to use you, prayer is the key. Communication is the key. If you don't know what it is, the altar is the key. Say, God, show me what you want me to do. Give, give, give me the instructions. That's what I want to do. I just want to be a servant. Be whatever you want me to be. If you want me to, to do little to nothing, or you want me to lead a nation, it makes no difference to me. I just want to be found in your will. Show me what you want, God. Go ahead. Leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. I have what you need. But you keep on searching. I've done all the work. You keep on working when you're running on empty, you can't find the remedy. Just come to the well, you can spend your whole life chasing what's missing, but that empty inside. It just ain't gonna listen When nothing can satisfy And the world leaves you high and dry Just come to the well And all who thirst will thirst no more And all who search will find souls long for the world will try but it can never feel so leave it all behind and come to the well so bring me your heart no matter how broken Come as you are When your last prayer is spoken Just rest in my arms a while You'll feel the change, my child When you come to the well And all who thirst will thirst no more And all who search will souls hope for the world will try but it can never fear so leave it all behind come to the Like a stream in the desert Soon all the world will see Living water is found in me As you come to the well And all who thirst will thirst no more And all who search will find what their souls Oh, the world will try. 
I could have you just bow your heads, close your eyes just for a minute. Christians, I want to ask you to pray right now that if there be anybody by way of live stream, YouTube, or in this building, anybody that's never trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, may today be the day. It has to start with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can change all that now. I know we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us that we are. But I also know that the goodness and the grace of God is greater than all sin. And He commended His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, that He sent Jesus Christ to pay for our sin debt, that He might save our soul. First, there must be a confession of our own mouth, Lord, I'm a sinner. It's not just words, it's from your heart, Lord, I'm a sinner. You have to realize you're lost before you can look to be found. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm just asking you to come into my heart. Forgive me my sins and save my soul. You're not looking for fire insurance. You're not just looking to get saved out of hell. You're looking to make Him Lord of your life for now and forever. Lord, I just want you to come and be in me all that you can be. Old things truly will pass away. Behold, all things will become new when you trust Christ. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and save my soul in the precious name of Jesus Christ. God is faithful and just to write your name in the Lamb's book of life, prepare a home for you in eternity, if you're willing to trust Christ. God, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for saving sinners like me. Thank you for loving someone like me. Thank you for grace that applies to a sinner just like me, that I might be saved. Unfit, unworthy, unholy, unrighteous, wrong in every account. But I can come to you through Jesus Christ, have all my sins erased, become holy through the blood of the Lamb. Thank you so much, God, for making a way that we might be called your children, that we might be the family of God. Thank you so much. Lord, I pray you'd help each one of us as your children, God. We're no different than a child that just wants to make Daddy happy. We just want to do something to make Daddy proud. We just want to play well. We just want to do well. We just want to hit a home run. We just want to do something to make Daddy happy. God, we just want to make you happy. We just want to make our Father able to look down and be proud. Make us usable vessels, God, and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.